Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome Jane Martellino from Connecticut to the Librarian Influencers Podcast today. So Jane, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your time working with school libraries. Hi, thank you for having me today. Um, I began my career back in the mid-1990s. I was actually an undergraduate student who was an accounting major and graduated and worked in the accounting field for a few years. And it was when I got married and had children that I realized that there was this whole other possibility of becoming a school librarian. Mm -hmm. I found that we spent a ton of time in the public libraries when the children were little and just fell in love with picture books. That was really my introduction to the picture books and story time. By the time my children started in like a preschool kindergarten program in this little private school, um, I had an opportunity to help do story time for the elementary age. And when I started doing that, I just relied on the experiences that I had as a mom. I had a couple of teachers approach me and tell me that, you know, you should go back and get your master's degree in library science. I think this is your field. And it was, I kind of took me by surprise because I really didn't see myself maybe going that route. I just thought story time's one thing, but um, I took the courage to uh, take one class in children's literature. And I wanted to just prove to myself that I was capable of yeah. studying at that level. Yeah. And, and that was it, never, never looked back after that moment. But I do credit becoming a mom is what led me into this field because it was not on the radar at all. And I think you're the first person I've ever interviewed from Connecticut. Do you, do you happen to know the details on like what it takes to become a librarian in your state? Yeah, I worked actually in, in, in Connecticut, Florida, and Rhode Island. I've done some traveling over the years. Um, Connecticut requires a master's degree in library science, but they also created an alternative route to certification for teachers um, who are already certified and have five years of experience. And they did that because there was a shortage in Connecticut. Okay. They couldn't fill the positions and it's still considered a critical shortage area. So anyone who wants to move to Connecticut and pursue a library degree or work in library profession, it's, it's a wonderful state to be in. That's awesome. So there's openings there. That's great. Mm-hmm. And so Jane, your name caught my eye because I saw you received a, an award recently. So can you tell us a little bit about the award that you got? I did. It was such a a thrill to receive the I Love My Librarian Award that was um, hosted by the American Library Association. And its nomination is put in by your community. So your patrons, those you serve, your schools, uh, families, the teachers, and it can be librarians that are in any profession. So academic, as well as public librarian, as well as school librarians. So they receive, I guess, a couple of thousand applications each year and they choose 10 people from the nation. And what an honor to receive that award. And, you know, I calculated the other day between private school and public school, I probably have now a good 25 years of experience. So just a really nice time to receive such a distinguished award. Yeah. And to have it come from the people you serve, that that means the most. That's what I was thinking. It's kind of like a people's choice award, you know, how they, so did you know anything about the nomination? Like what kind of things that they said about yeah, you? You know, this year, yes, they, they give you the whole uh, nomination packet afterwards. But this year in particular, the um, Carnegie Library and the ALA was focusing on how did you impact your community during COVID times? Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so it's really specific towards that. In the past, I don't think they had so much of a focus area, but being such an unusual year, um, and I think probably wanting to elevate how libraries and librarians in particular really service their communities during such a trying time. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, looking back on it, what I knew early on, probably the second week or so when schools closed in March, that students, I'm in a K to five school, students and families, and even my fellow colleagues were in desperate need to connect with each yeah. other, this new arena we were in, and from that emotional level. So what I started to do was I thought, how can I give sort of like, you know, social emotional messages, like kind of quick little tidbits, but connect every day mm-hmm. to the pop, to the families and the students. So I tested it out with one student who I knew him and his mom kind of well. And I thought, let me get a feel for this. What do you think? So I, and I didn't want it to just be me. So I have a cute little dog, a docky, pot Dotson, pot Yorkie. Okay. And I thought, what if I use an app, like a talking pet app? And she just has the perfect disposition for it. And I can use some of her stories or her tales to turn these into messages. And the kids will connect because of that, the animal piece. So I tested it with this one student and he, he said, oh, I love it. I love it. So that began. I did one every single day for the entire from March until school ended. Oh, when my school, gosh. That's yeah. Awesome. Summer vacation came. I did probably maybe once a month or so just just to connect a little bit with families. And then when school resumed in person, we were back in person this fall. I thought they were such a love for Maggie. Um, I heard over and over and over again from parents that this was sort of like the saving grace that they had these messages and they, Maggie's silly antics could put a smile on their face, but still teach something at the same time. And yeah. it was just really amazing to see how much they needed that piece. So now Maggie does a once a week message every Monday because we couldn't just not have Maggie part of life still in our school. The PTA gave Maggie a cute little hoodie sweatshirt for Christmas that says on it, ISD, which is our school initials, superhero. So I think, you know, that was probably a big piece of of the application that that was a response that overwhelmingly really impacted families. Are they posted anywhere that people? They are. Yes. I'll give you the blog to post at the end. Yeah. It's a running blog. And there's definitely some fan favorite stories in that. They're all based on, you know, I I, I guess if I could give recommendations to uh, young librarians is, you know, to trust your instinct and to trust, you know, your gut or, or in the quiet, make sure you give yourself quiet times to let creativity come to you because I find that it's in the quiet that I do get my greatest ideas. So, and I wouldn't stress over it. Like a a day would, like it would be a Monday and I know like tomorrow I need to make a message for Maggie. What's Maggie gonna talk about? What do the kids need to hear? So I would kind of pick up on tidbits I was hearing from teachers, like different stresses maybe people were undergoing. Then I would go and take a walk in the woods. And in the quiet, the idea would just come. And then I could come home and I would quickly type out a little script and then record it. So we need we need quiet to be creative. That's the lesson I really learned this spring. I, I would agree. And not just being creative, but also reflective. You know, there's mm-hmm. so much power and re- looking back at like, that's probably what led you to decide, you know, you can't just let this pass. You know, you've got to keep doing this. So the, kudos to you for awesome, awesome idea like that. Um, so Jane, what do you remember when you were first starting out? You said it's been 25 years. So what kind of memories do you have? You know, when I look back at the, the early experience, c- coming into the profession from being like a, you know, an accountant first, I lived probably for, oh, gosh, I bet it was eight to 10 years of this feeling that I wasn't a teacher per se, because I don't have a teaching degree. The program that I um, participated in was with the University of Rhode Island, where it was a 42 credit hour master's degree. So it was the MLS plus uh, certification as a school librarian. So I did my student teaching through that avenue. Okay. Okay. But for some reason, I don't know. I just, I, that was a big leap for me. There was a, a little bit of insecurity, I think, in that way. And that was just a matter of, I think, in time building up confidence to realize that you really were, you know, you are a teacher. Yes. Um, the other thing I find when I look back on it is because of probably that insecurity, 
I would go over and beyond trying to get myself up to speed. So I spent a ton of time you know, in self-study beyond the master's at that point. And, you know, again, visiting the public library, I mean, volumes of books I'd be constantly checking out to keep myself really abreast of literature. Smart. Looking back, it was, you know, I think I had to do that to get myself comfortable, but it, in time I learned you need balance. Like yeah. you need more balance than that because you can burn out. So you have to be really careful on that piece. And I think we, no matter what career you're in, when you start out, you just want to make such an impact, you know, that you, you put more than hundred percent in, it feels like, but um, you're right. That balance is very, very important. Definitely. So if you could send yourself any advice back in time, you know, what, what would you have told yourself? I think I would have told myself to, to take a breath. Okay. <laughs> take a breath, uh, build in that balance and kind of have a more of a sense that what you what, where you are right now is good enough. Like really, if you know you're putting in the effort and you have the passion for it, sometimes where you're at is is good enough and just contribute that way and, and just allow yourself to continue to grow. You know, for reflecting back on this time period too, this was pre-social networking. So you didn't have the network that you have today. And we're typically the only person in the school who knows our, our field. Right. So, you know, you would look at, I would look at grade level teams and kind of admire the camaraderie that they can have in a grade level and the support they can give to each other, but you are isolated. Mm-hmm. And it's different than other professions. I find that way, because you kind of expect it to hit the ground running just to fall into this position and know what you're supposed to do. Today's librarians, I think, are so fortunate because of the networking that we have. And, that. you know, you should never feel alone and to reach out and you know, to humble yourself enough to, to ask for help and to guidance. And, and, and really, whenever I've mentored someone, I learn just as much from them as I'm giving in return. So okay. it's a nice two-way partnership. Definitely. All right. So you mentioned you're at a K-5 in Connecticut. Go ahead. What kind of learning situation are y'all in right now in your area? Yeah, we ended up resuming school fully face-to-face. Uh, parents did have an option to choose a full remote school for students. Okay. So I think it's about 15% of the elementary population chose to be in a full remote school. Okay. Um, K-2, to in order to preserve some uh, safety and have kind of cohorts in mind, K-2 to students I can service in the classroom. My library facility was taken over for our gifted and talented program so they could have classrooms that were okay. students could be spaced apart. So we don't have our physical space anymore for this year. Look, fingers crossed that we will go into that space next year. Mm-hmm. Grades three through five are considered flexibly scheduled classes and I service them through Google Meets. So that's considered remote. Um, it's worked out okay though. The, probably the biggest um, eye-opening piece I've had is I think what you said earlier, you know, being a reflective practitioner, I think is essential. And, the, and, the, and as soon as you can get into that practice, the, the better off you'll be. Yeah. And what felt what made me really get comfortable being a reflective practitioner was I worked on my national board certification oh, probably yeah. <laughs> about 10 years ago. And that really, that's what came out of that is how do you really reflect on your practice? Mm-hmm. So what I realized when I was reflecting recently on this change that everything I had in that physical space, you know, the collection, all the makerspace items, um, kids would come in all excited, like, what are we going to do today? What are we going to build? What are we going to work on? that's been all removed. And now I walk into a classroom and there's still this buzz because it's about us. Yeah. There's an intimacy now with this human connection that was really remarkable when it it just stood out so much recently that I thought, wow, we've removed everything else and went back to this core of Mm -hmm. us as people connecting with each other over the topics we're pursuing. And that's kind of, that's a really neat thing to see. Yeah. And I, I think early on, you know, as soon as the trans- the pandemic started, 
our identities were so tied to our location, you know, our physical location that a lot of people were stunned, like, oh, what am I going to do? But you're so right, you know, looking now we can look back, you know, right. you know what came out of that. So that's that's really awesome, awesome input yeah. that you've got. There. And I'd be really curious if other, you know, librarians and teachers, anyone who's working in that same kind of an environment that you've lost your space, are you feeling that same thing? Because we can't share like all those manipulative type of things anymore. But it's you strip everything away and the core is there. And that and it was a beautiful thing to kind of see that. Yeah, that's good. Very good. All right, so I love to talk about the influence that librarians have on their campus because they're in such pivotal roles, you know, in what they do. Um, so how would you describe um, the influence that you have? You know, I think it's on many layers. Like when I think about lessons that I'm giving that are done in a collaborative manner, sometimes, um, you know, you're taking the lead as the school librarian in the lesson, even in the design of it, and then the instructional strategies that you choose. So you're, you're having an opportunity to model really effective teaching practices to classroom teachers, whether they're veteran or beginner, we sometimes come with a different lens to things or a different perspective. So I love that fact that you are coaching in, in a very non-intimidating way, right? And then, so that's a colleague to colleague kind of piece. Then I think about families. Um, I think one recommendation I would give to any librarian is you do have to be your PR person. Like you have to constantly promote what you're doing. And, it, and it's not done in an ego-driven kind of manner. It's just done to educate people about the great things that are happening through your library program. Because most people really have no idea what you do. Um, parents may not have had the experience of an effective school librarian, if any librarian. So I always do a weekly article in our parent newsletter, and I constantly provide articles for parents. I mean, information for parents, whether it's, you know, some book events they can attend virtually, you know, different kinds of classes, different tidbits on, you know, habits of mind, just a variety of things. So you have the influence of affecting families yeah. by being that kind of a person. And then of course the students, I mean, Books, I just feel I'm an adamant proponent of never getting away from the power that we have to put the right book in the student's hand at that right moment. I mean, to me, that's that's what makes us different than ever, any other aspect in the school setting is we have the ability to do that. So knowing that that's such an incredible, uh, I don't know, it's such a gift that you have mm -hmm. that I never take that lightly. And that's a huge influence because it could be from what's curiosity you're helping to provoke. And it could be like, again, we talked about social emotional learning pieces and having students identify with themselves and their partners and their friends. And yeah. that's it's a powerful thing to know you can make that influence. Yeah. And that's, that's life-changing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you're starting to think about next year, um, do you have any new kind of thing that you're wanting to work on? Um, you know, next year is still such an unknown. Like we still really don't know, right? Where, what will be, where will be, and if I'll be in my physical space. At this point, I'm assuming probably not be back in the library. We might not be. So I'm kind of just developing and further tweaking the things that we can do. And I think that's what this year has really been is how do you now revise and adapt the type of teaching you've done in the past in this new in this new arena. Yeah, um, yeah. so it's, I think it's just more about that. I mean, you've talked about a lot of great things, but is there anything different or more that you want to add on? I think like, you know, being able to take risks is really important. And I think, again, we have the luxury versus a classroom teacher to probably take more risks than, than a classroom teacher can. And like doing the Maggie thing, that was a little bit of a risk that was because I was putting myself also emotionally out there, you know, and teaching things that I thought were important to learn. 
And that can be scary. So you have to be not afraid to take a risk and to trust again, that instinct. When you feel something is nudging you, I think you need to act upon it. Mm -hmm. And an example for that would be when I first came to Connecticut, we had lived in Florida for just about three years and Florida had a wonderful young children's book award program. So they had the K to two, and then they had your typical three to five and grades uh, beyond that as well. So when we came to Connecticut, they did not have a young children's book award. It began in fourth grade. And I thought, huh, we need to have one. So the first year I kind of sat back and waited and thought maybe the committee that runs the next award, I sent them an email and asked, would you consider creating one? And then waited the next year after that, but it kept nudging me. So I thought, I guess I need to start it. So I did. So I created one called the Charter Oak Children's Book Award Program for K to three students. Charter Oak is our state tree. So we named it after that because I could envision having a tree painted on, on a wall in the school where every year the, uh, the main branch would be the winner for that year's award with the branches off of it being the titles of the nominees and what a beautiful thing, how it would grow over time. So to having the courage to just say, let's do it. Now we're in year 11 and we have thousands of kids in the state of Connecticut participating. And oh, gosh, again, that's awesome. So it's, you got to pay attention when you're being pushed to do something, just have the courage to go ahead and stop something. Yeah. yeah. And the, there's a saying I've heard before about the antidote to fear is action. So you may mm -hmm. not, you may not have had fear, but when you're new and you're starting out, you, you're kind of fearful and questioning, you know, a lot of things. And and um, I've been sharing that actually recently with my son who started his first job this week. Yay. You know, as, as an adult, but um, you know, the antidote to fear is action. You know, don't worry, just take that first step and right. you're going to know then, you know, the next thing that you're going to have to do. So that's right. And also my daughter's in a new job as well. And I was having the similar conversations with her and knowing that when you do face those moments where you are really second guessing yourself and you're having sort of that negative self-talk just work through it and get to the other side of it because you will get to the other side and you don't want to quit and, and stay stuck in that moment because of whatever insecurity and different fears, get through it. And then when that happens in the future, which it will, because we're constantly pushing ourselves for new experiences, you can reflect on that prior time and say, oh yeah, I did get through that. And I had to do X, Y, and Z to get there. And I think that's important. The other thing I would recommend is I've taken many, you know, taught in three different states because I always looked at what was another opportunity that could either help my family mm -hmm. or help myself to grow and to push myself further. And I would recommend that to people. Don't feel like you have to stay stuck even in the same school you're in or the same district. I think librarians have more opportunity at least in Connecticut, you do to move around more because there's more openings and it, it challenges you to stay out of that comfort zone. And I think that's really important. Um, also get involved like in your state associations, be willing to you know, put on presentations when you have conferences. That's something that I never would have seen my, saw myself doing because I was always kind of a shy person, but I didn't want to stay stuck in that yeah, that profile. So I've always pushed myself. I've given presentations at you know national and state conferences for that reason to push myself to be more than I thought I could be. Right. Well, you mentioned moving. Let me ask you about that real quick because I know sometimes people are hesitant to even think about moving because what do you do with your degree? You know, because your certificate or cert certification is from a state. What's that process been like for you as you've moved to different states? Okay. Yeah, I think as, as long as you have the master's in library science, I found that to be. Um, the ticket into any other state certification. It really hasn't been a barrier. And then once I earned my national board certification, that was like the ticket to any state because that supersedes the state requirements. Oh, so you pretty much, yeah, you pretty much then will be approved and put in at the second level, which is usually like a professional level. Okay. So anyone who is even considering working on national board certification, I'd highly recommend it 
even if you don't ever plan on moving, just for that reflective practice practitioner piece. Um, yeah, I would definitely recommend that. All right, very good to know. All right, so Jane, as we're closing out our time together, um, I mean, you mentioned being involved in the, the state and national level associations. Is there anything else that you do to, to keep yourself growing right now? Yeah, I think we're so lucky to have like social networking in today's world. So Twitter is probably my number one place where I try to spend a little bit of time kind of browsing through um, my feed. Um, I would say don't get consumed by it. I go in spurts where I usually use it more for like a downtime. If I'm sitting and waiting for something, I'm just a little bored in the moment, I'll kind of browse through, but you don't want it to consume yourself. Facebook, I use in, in a limited manner. Instagram is just something I haven't gotten into because I, I also feel like you can't be in all things. So pick one that you're going to use effectively yeah. and use that one well. And also make sure you're following people outside of your profession. Um, sometimes that's where you grow the most is getting these other perspectives. So I would encourage that as well. Um, but we're really fortunate that we can connect so easily with people anywhere in the world and take advantage of that opportunity. Most definitely. All right, so the listeners, you, she mentioned she's on Twitter. It says her name is um, Jane Martellino. Mm -hmm. um, you can find her there and on Facebook, Jane.Martellino. And then go ahead and tell us about your blog so that we can connect with you through that too. Yeah, a few years ago, I did a, a different type of blog where it was more like every Saturday, I would take a couple hours in the morning, you know, just the quiet of the morning and reflect on the week. Mm -hmm. And then I would kind of show, you know, pieces of student work and the process I was going through. And I found that exceptionally helpful, again, to kind of connect the dots. So I could all of a sudden see what I was able to do with third graders was because of the work I had been doing you know, in kindergarten, first grade, and second grade that was building up to that. Yeah. So I would say if you if you want to do reflection, doing a blog that way, it gives you PR at the same time. Um, since then, I left that district, so that blog had to come down. But what I've done now is the blog really is Maggie's messages right now. I've just kind of focused on that as the public blog. Um, so you'll just hear me kind of giving those little SEL kind of tidbits and, or connecting to something for the week. But the other piece is I do a weekly newsletter for our um, parents. Okay. Um, yeah, and which isn't public on here, but I would totally recommend that. The one last piece of advice too I want to give is every school I've worked in, in all three different states, I've always had a weekly meeting with my principal. Mm. And sometimes, and my friends who don't, I think it's a detriment. And sometimes you have to be the one to initiate that. And the principals are open to it because many times they know you're in a unique position and you are servicing everybody. And that has been a huge benefit to have that constant, uh, you know, dialogue with your principal. So I would totally see if you can get on that calendar, just a quick, you know, 20 minute check-in each week. Very good. Perfect news. All right. So Jane, um, for all of any of our listeners who are wanting to find Maggie's messages, uh, they'll visit the show notes and, and go down to the, the notes part of your app that you're listening on um, or visit my website and you'll find the link to her blog. So you can check out Maggie's messages for yourself. And then uh, what app did you use? What, do you mind sharing that? No, not at all. It's, a, it's called Talking Pet. Talking Pet. Okay. Talking Pet. Yeah. Yeah, talking pet. And again, it's just trying to figure out like what is what is the thing that you can do in your school that needs to reach? I think it comes from what's the need first, right? And not trying to be somebody else. Like we see how many great, you know, librarians and educators around this country that are doing incredible things. And sometimes you feel like you have to be that person. You don't, you have to be you and figure out what is it you're passionate about? What is that thing that's stirring and nudging within you to pursue and to develop that then you're real and authentic because it's your passion and your creativity that's blossoming through that. So I always say to people, just, just develop you. Like you don't have to be the next 
whoever is the rock star of the moment. Be, be the best you. Definitely. Good, good deal. All right. Well, Jane, it was such a pleasure meeting you today. Congratulations again on your award. That's outstanding. And I look forward to following you and to keep learning from you. It's nice to meet you today. Thank you. Nice meeting you as well. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.